All right, continuing with our interviews with the leaders of the two parties that are in contention, by all counts, uh, heading into Monday's vote, uh, we're going to chat now with uh, leader of the UCP, Danielle Smith. Uh, let's get right to it. Ms. Smith, thanks so much for your time today. I know you're busy. I appreciate you joining us. My pleasure, Shay. Thanks for having me on. Let's jump right into some of the issues. Today's health care. I don't even remember bucket days uh, back from your time working over here when we identified key issues during the campaign. The one today is health care, and uh, it's timely, of course, because uh, it is second on the list of issues uh, in terms of importance for Albertans through our polling. Um, you've recently been talking about the improvements brought about under your leadership. However, uh, as, as you know, yesterday, Calgary's ER docs uh, signed an open letter. Edmonton doctors now joining the call saying the system is in crisis and they're seeing it and they're they've taken about all they can take um, and the head of the Alberta Medical Association says healthcare is a disaster right now so who's telling the truth where are we with healthcare in Alberta right now Look, there's always room for improvement. There's always more work to do. But I can say we've seen a dramatic improvement since November. And it's part of the reason why I made the decision that I did when I got elected. I've been watching the stories that everybody else has watched. And I've become increasingly alarmed that after 15 years, nobody was willing to take on some of the fundamental challenges. And I did. Uh, We brought in an official administrator. We talked to the frontline nurses, doctors and paramedics. We implemented the changes that they suggested. And I I understand your previous guest even uh, pointed out that the EMS wait time changes have improved, have wait times improved. I mean, that that to me is a a strong sign that when you take decisive leadership, you target uh, improvement in a particular area, you can make improvement. I I only had six months to to make the changes. And the fact that we've already made those changes, imagine what we'll be able to do in four years. I I wasn't able to fix everything, uh, but I am looking forward to continuing the work. And I feel very confident that, that we can solve these problems one at a time. Yeah, in terms of the timing, I mean, the UCP government, you've been there for six months. The UCP government's been there for four years, and things are far worse now than when they, when they got in. You, when you took, came in and got rid of AHS administration and brought in the single administrator, you said it's going to be bumpy, give us 90 days, we're seven months. Um, the timeline keeps moving. How long should Albertans wait? Well, we have made dramatic improvement in 90 days. We've essentially made red alerts on EMS, a thing of the past, because of the system that we have of drop and go. We've got dedicated staff receiving patients at hospitals. So uh, paramedics are able to come in, do the patient transfer, clean their gear, and get back out on the road at any given time now. We typically have 10 to 15 ambulances available for urgent calls, and that is a an absolute success story. We, we also are not pulling ambulances in from rural Alberta the way we used to. Mm-hmm. That is mm-hmm. an absolute success story. And we've also found that uh, there were a number of surgical uh, operating rooms in hospitals that we could bring back online. We also have doctor-run surgical clinics. We're now doing more surgeries than ever before. We have completely cleared the uh, COVID uh, backlog that happened because of the of the of the delay in surgeries and we're we're clearing the backlog of those waiting longer than medically recommended at a rate of 3000 per month so by this time next year that surgical backlog is going to be completely cleared. So I would say that uh, I delivered. I, I said, give us 90 days. We'll put some key changes in place to reduce hospital wait times, reduce EMS time. But you haven't. Reduce surgical oh, wait times. You... No, no, no. All of those have, all of those have, that we've succeeded on. It's not perfect. 
No. Uh, but we have moved in the right direction, and we're going to continue to. There is, an, there is an issue now that we have to turn to, which is primary care. And I think everybody recognizes yeah. that we need to take a dedicated approach to primary care. Completely agree on that. Yeah, I think you're, I mean, when you talk about EMS, there's no question that we've seen wait times reduced there. But when you're talking, I mean, if you're getting taken by an ambulance to an emergency room with a 14-hour wait, I don't know how much of an improvement that is. And there was information out from um, the Canadian Health Reporting Institute, uh, I can't remember what it's called exactly, saying that Canada or Alberta lags behind the rest of the country when it comes to wait lists for knee and hip replacements. We're, we're not meeting the six-month target. So, I mean, surgical wait times haven't improved. So I mean, you can't have it both ways. Well, I, I guess you, you can't look at old data. You have to look at sort of what we've done in the last six months. And I can tell you what we've done in the last six months is we're reducing that surgical backlog by a rate of 3,000 a month. As I gather your, your last guest also said that things did improve on hospital wait times. But as we're getting into summer, we've got staff who are burnt out again and they're going back up. So we've got to do more work on recruiting. We're, we've been very successful at recruiting. Uh, we have 700 more doctors than we did when we, we took office. We have 1,800 more nurses. We've got, um, we've got more allied uh, health professionals that are working on the front line. And just in April, we have a new accreditation process. Oh, pardon me, let me just, 1,800 nurses. We've got 500 new paramedics, 700 new physicians, 3,700 other frontline staff. And uh, just in April, we accredited 1,400 nurses. That's more than the, the, the three previous years combined. So we're making great progress on recognizing credentials as well. I, I, I understand the impatience people have, really. Mm-hmm. And that's, I'm impatient, too. That's why I made it my top priority when I got elected. I, I can tell you that um, the uh, the NDP had four years to address these issues. They they saw surgical wait times increase on nine different uh, measures when, when they were in office. They didn't solve the problems that we were addressing with EMS wait times and the long ambulance waits and the red alerts. And we have. And so I would just ask for people to give us a, another opportunity to continue the great work that we're doing. Yeah, fair enough. But I would say, that, I mean, the NDP had four years and so did the UCP. But let's leave healthcare where it is. Um, there is a, a, a list of prominent and well-known Alberta Conservatives that have been vocally and, and openly campaigning against you. They've been careful to say, hey, we're not against the UCP. We're not against Conservatives. This is, this is about leadership. This is about Danielle Smith. What does that say to you about where the direction of that party is if you've got, you know, former cabinet ministers saying they're voting NDP? Well, I've got Stephen Harper endorsing us. I've got Pierre Polyev out today with an endorsement video saying vote for us. I've got Rana Ambrose who, uh, who, who, who likes our platform and uh, is, vo- is voting for us. Um, I've got numerous MPs who are coming out to our events. Uh, it doesn't surprise me, I suppose, that uh, people who opposed me back in the in the day when I was uh, when I was in politics before don't like me today. I, I'm, I'm not really all that uh, I'm not all that concerned about it, quite frankly. I, I see that uh, the the people who are who I have a lot of confidence in, who Albertans have a lot of confidence in, they've got confidence in our UCP team. Does it, I mean, and we know this is always an issue with conservative politics in Canada, the fractures within the party. I mean, we haven't even gone through the election yet. We've got people within the party taking different sides opposed to your leadership. Um, How confident can Albertans be that we're not going to end right back up in the same situation with political infighting, changes at the top, all the rest of it, should you form government next month? I'm not sure who you're referring to because we have a united team. We've got a, a 48 incumbents that are running again. We've got four of the leadership candidates who are running again, and I think doing a tremendous job working on the other people's campaigns to show that positive leadership. We've got Rebecca and, and Brian Jean who, who are, are going out again today. They've been they've been amazing during this campaign. We we have a, a united team. There, there's no question about it, and and it's because we're running on a team. And I have such respect for my colleagues that uh, I know we'll make great decisions. I mean, look, I. I know that 
that, uh, that, that people were concerned about some of the topics I discussed when I was on radio. But a radio host, as you know, is a very different job mm-hmm. than being premier. And as premier, my bosses are Albertans, and I take my marching orders from them, and the MLAs are the expression of, of what their constituents want. And I have, I have a, a ton of respect for my UCP MLAs, and I, I think that feeling is mutual. So I don't, I don't see the unity issues you're talking about, Shay. Okay. Uh, it speaks to that diversity of voices, and you've always said you welcome that, and you don't want everybody in your party to be, you know, I mean, you welcome people's opinions. There are limits, though. And, you know, you recently told a candidate in Pinocchio Lacombe that they would not be welcome in a, in a Smith-led UCP caucus because of comments they made. So, so there is a line. The question I have is, where is that line? Like, where does Daniel Smith draw the line with, okay, that candidate cannot be in my caucus if they're going to hold views like that? You know, we have to be respectful when we're talking about really difficult issues. And we have to make sure that uh, the words that we use aren't, don't cause hurt and don't cause harm. That, that, is, that is the standard that I hold myself to. It's the standard that I'm holding others to. And if we make mistakes, uh, we apologize for them. We make amends. And if we, uh, and sometimes you have to sit in the penalty box. I mean, I, I had, uh, had seven years out of politics because of a mistake I made. And I'm grateful that people gave, gave me a, a chance to be able to represent them again. And I'm going to do that to the best of my ability. But uh, there is a line, definitely. How clearly has that been communicated? Is there a vetting process? Is there a conversation with people who become candidates for the UCP to say, hey, listen, we won't tolerate this kind of behavior because she's not alone. There's been three or four throughout this campaign that you've had to uh, address some of the comments that they've made. You know what? I, I know that people are not perfect. Sometimes they miscommunicate. Sometimes they um, have views that they that they're regretful for, and they genuinely make uh, make an effort to, to change their views. Uh, but I, I would I would say that uh, when you get into politics, it's a it's a team sport. I mean, all of us have uh, our own views that we bring to the table. But once you've gotten your nomination as a candidate, it becomes a team. And you have to focus on the things that the team cares about. And our team cares about jobs, economy, public safety. We're going to fix uh, 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 the uh, Alberta health care system. And we're also going to make sure that, that we offer affordability and uh, a value proposition for Alberta to once again have that Alberta advantage renewed and be the, the best place in the, in the country for people to, to, to come to. So those are the things that we're all focused on. Um, I wanted to ask you about, and we talked about this last time, and I wonder if it's changed a lot. Jason Nixon was asked about it just last week, I think maybe even this week, talking about making ends meet. And, and, you know, he reassured Albertans that we've got the wiggle room built into our budget. But, you know, we talked about the billion-dollar hole in the budget with the proposed tax cut. You're not raising any taxes. You're balancing the budget. Oil revenue is now several dollars below where your own budget says it has to be for you to balance the books. Um, What's the plan? Are we going to be looking at cuts? Where does that shortfall get made up? Well, I can tell you, you don't end up making up a revenue shortfall by increasing tax rates on our job creators. Like, I was shocked yesterday when uh, when Ms. Notley said that, here's her quote, she said, so business people who suggest that they would leave because of this, frankly, I don't know exactly where they would go. That is a very cavalier attitude for somebody who wants to be premier, who actually increased business taxes once before and watched jobs and investment flee this province. We won't do that. That's part of the reason yesterday we announced Bill 1, mm-hmm. our Taxpayer uh, Protection Amendment Act. We are not, we're going to make sure that anytime anyone proposes tax increases on personal corporate taxes, they have to go to the public for a referendum because those kinds of capricious changes to, 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 the, uh, the, to the corporate tax causes investor uncertainty it causes businesses to leave and i can tell you who where else businesses would go right now we have 
it's only seven jurisdictions in the United States that have a better tax environment than we do. Under Ms. Notley's increase, we would end up having 17 other jurisdictions that would be better than us. And we've seen this before. We saw dollars leaving here, going to Texas, going to, to other American states. And that is the reason why it's so risky to, to change course now. You, yeah, you cannot I, I, just, you can, that, is, that is the biggest risk that we have, is that we would create an uncertain business investment environment, and then we would shatter the incredible record that we have of growth and investment and people moving here. Understood. And I, I, I fully plan to ask uh, Rachel Notley about that corporate tax increase tomorrow when she's on the air. But I was asking you about the changes in the revenue sheet that you're looking at and the expenditure sheet and how you make those ends meet, because we're talking about a lot of money coming into the government that won't be next year, be it resource revenue or tax revenue. It's multi-billions of dollars already. Where does that shortfall get made up? Well, I can tell you, we already built in to our budget process a significant contingency, $1.5 billion. We've also paid down debt. That allowed us to free up $500 million in finance charges. That's uh, another way that you keep on paying down debt so that you're able to free up those finance charges. And we're also, we've also put $2 billion into the Heritage Savings Trust Fund, and we're going to keep on investing the, the investment income there. I mean, part of what we needed to do with our budget is to set the stage so that we could wean ourselves off of the revenue roller coaster. And the way you do that is you develop a new income stream. If we had, had started reinvesting the investment income from the Heritage Savings Trust Fund right from the start, it would be worth $300 billion today and generating $20 billion worth of revenue. Mm-hmm. And we, we have now start our, started us on the path to be able to get there. It won't, it won't happen in the next couple of years, but I can see it happening in the next 20 or 30 years. And that's the kind of legacy that we need to leave to our kids and grandkids. Plus, I can also say, when we reduced the corporate income tax and we also reduced red tape, we sent a signal to the world we were open for business. And I have been waiting for decades to watch the diversification of our economy. We're seeing it. We've got green tech, carbon capture utilization storage. We've got hydrogen. We've got geothermal. We've got lithium. We've got an aviation industry. We've got agri-food agri- and agri-investment. We've got the film industry. We've got venture capital. This is the excitement that we don't want to lose in Alberta. This is what happens when you've got a good suite of policies. And we can't change course now. We can't go back. Um, I've already kept you longer than I, and I said I would. I appreciate your time. But I have one last quick one. And I'm just asking you to help me out here if you can. You've sat in this chair. You know what it's like. You've seen the text line. You know um, what goes on sometimes. I've had a handful of people. I'm not going to say it's a lot. But there are certainly some in the last few days who are worried about vote tabulators. They call them voting machines. They're worried about election fraud. On and on it goes. Uh, It's a lot of that American-style rhetoric that I hate seeing creep into the Canadian political discussion. Do you have any doubts, Daniel Smith, about Alberta's election integrity? Not to put too fine a point on it here, and I don't want to get ridiculous, but are you going to have any issues with the outcome? Are you going to accept the results of this election? Yes, and I have no doubts, and I want to tell people why, is that... We, we have, a, it's a tabulator system, but what happens, because I just did advanced polling yesterday, you go into the polling station, you say where you're from, they give you a printed ballot, you mark it, and it goes into a Scantron machine, and we keep the printed ballot. So if there is any question right. of a close race in any contest, we can go back to the paper ballot and we can do a hand count. And with having that backup and having that ability to, to do a hand count, People should get out there and vote. <laughs> get out and vote early so that they can be sitting and enjoying the coverage on election night. Absolutely. It's going to be interesting. Um, Daniel Smith, thank you so much for your time. As always, appreciate being here. You bet. My pleasure. Thanks, Shay.